0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, I speak with Hendrik Laubscher, CEO and founder at Blue Cape Ventures. Henrik has made a career advising brands, investors, VCs, and hedge funds to see the future of e-commerce and logistics, so naturally, he has been rather obsessed with how it all works in China. We compare JD's and Tsai logistics and how they can accomplish their lightning-fast delivery times when compared to North America and what those North American companies can possibly learn and integrate from the way they operate. We discuss the much-anticipated IPOs of JD and Tsai and whether it will change their operations in China, the impact of the Belt and Road Initiative, and why Q4 – just might be the most important quarter of the last 20 years for e-commerce companies who better make sure their houses are in order with regards to logistics. Enjoy.
1: At a very high level, you have two large players worth billions of dollars. That's, that itself is important, but also it's very important to note that JB.com, they, they had a, a historical lead in logistics. They invested very early on to the dismay of the financial sector in the in the West. And more recently, I'd say there's about a 10-year difference in terms of the investment, but in terms of size, you know, both of these businesses offer brands and consumers scale and speed and efficiency, but that's really unrivaled.
0: Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under-30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore. But entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Todd, thanks for having me. And as a, I don't know how to say this politely, but as a longtime listener of the podcast, you know, episodes with friends such as Michael Sarkour on it, finally getting onto it, you know, it makes it makes me smile. Well, you know that you've achieved some
0: level of... Success, or maybe it's notoriety when you start reaching out to people that you think would be great guests and they come back as you did and said, Oh my gosh, yeah, I I listened to that. I would love to be a guest. And you're thinking, Oh, yes, we finally achieved some success. So that's great to hear. And thank you very much. We are, we are doing our best and trying very hard over here. Let's start with the, with a little bit of a high level introduction for our audience about. Something you know a lot about. That's the shipping, warehousing, and logistics networks, and what they look like in China. I know it's a big question.
1: Well, I think the first observation is is that we don't have enough time. It's it's really when you when you try and explain, you know, the stepchild of e-commerce to folks that are working at brands, or it's not the most sexy or entertaining part of the business. But once you knuckle down and you understand it's it's kind of a big deal. So in China at a very high level, you know, you have two very large players, um, Tanao Network and JD Logistics. Um, And yes, for the record, I apologize for completely butchering Tanao's name, but that's just how I pronounce it. So listeners, apologies, please. So you have these two players, but what's, what's, what's very interesting is that, you know, it is massive scale. So just to put it in numbers, Amazon has 110 warehouses in the U.S. FedEx has less than 650. JD Logistics, in quarter two results from last week, said that they have more than 750 warehouses all over China. And so now Network says that they have hundreds of warehouses all over the globe. So, you know, it's very easy to say that logistics in China is similar to what is seen in, in other parts of the world. Let me just be blunt, no. yeah, um, There are some elements, so JD Logistics, for example, is the same methodology as Amazon, you know, the spoken and, and wheel methodology where it is warehouses, hubs, delivery locations in cities. But, you know, to compare this to anything in the West is a total disservice, you know, this massive scale, but also, what makes this very difficult is that, you know, they are these businesses are able to move volumes of products that is seen in no other network in, in, or in any uh, country, just because of the fact that you have 1.3 billion Chinese, you have people buying millions and millions of items, and depending where you buy it from, you know, you can have it anything from 30 minutes to 24-hour delivery. Now. So I think about Canada and I, I can think about South Africa. There's nothing we our closest is three days of the longest wait in the history of commerce. But the point is, is that these huge businesses have literally taken the traditional logistics model and literally basically made it into a very small paper ball and thrown into the trash bin. Not because of disrespect, but it's just a case of because of this size, they've had to build things that or allows them to get to consumers in lower tier cities, which we can think about like rural cities all over the globe, or higher tier cities like Beijing and others, where they can get anywhere, whether it's into a compound, whether it's at at an office block, or you know just some. This simple, is simplest thing as you know getting into you know a house of a consumer you know who's been waiting very importantly for. A very high price. What, for example? So, at a very high level, you have two large players worth billions of dollars. That's that itself is important, but also it's very important to note that JD.com they they had a a historical lead in logistics. They invested very early on, to the dismay of the financial sector in the in the West. And more recently, I'd say there's about a 10-year difference in terms of the investment, but in terms of size. You know both of these businesses offer brands and consumers scale and speed and efficiency that that's really unrivaled what other differences could you point to between jd
0: and uh side and and further to that like how do how do smaller companies what other transportation warehousing logistics companies exist and how do they actually fit into the mix you know even talking about China as a whole, when you have such huge, massive players, yet there always seems to be so much room for smaller players to exist and have opportunity to be successful.
1: Okay, so at a very high level, JD Logistics is owned by JD.com. They're a retailer. So if you think about a retailer, generally you are moving items from brands, from brand warehouses to warehouses that is owned by JD, for example, as you know the Asia the Asia warehouses, which are s- semi cities. Um, having visited one in Beijing, I don't think any comparison to any level of football fields does it justice. It's huge. The use of automation is is very large, but JD, because of the historical past, has literally they control it end to end. So, what makes it further interesting is that the company is, is has been spun off. Um, with JD being the largest shareholder, but it's not just focused on e-commerce. You know, it can be used by banks for delivering credit cards or my favorite example of, you know, using warehouse space for homeowners. You know, in the West, we have, you know, these storage companies, which are literally the bane of my existence because it's just, it's, it's a really not a great setup, but, you know, JD has decided that they have all these warehouse space. So let's offer a service where, you know, people can come store large and, and, and funny items in our warehouses. You know, can you imagine Amazon doing that? I can't. Mm-hmm. So secondly, so now network is is a smart logistics platform. And, and that sounds highly technical, but the, the simple story is, is that so now essentially uses large freight moving between warehouses. So If you can imagine, imagine, you know, moving in in any part of the world between large cities and then they use SF Express and others to do the final mile. So JD Logistics does the whole process, whereas now does, you know, between the big cities and then they use third parties. But also a lot of the times these companies offer drop off collection points. They've realized to get to the consumer they have to think about solutions to be where the consumer is. So if you live in a compound, you know, there's a place in that compound where that is accessible via QR code where the consumer goes and fetches the product. Um, can you imagine that in all our flat complexes all over the world? Oh, yeah. Good luck. But also you have a situation where these companies have just, they've just iterated so quickly and Are investing in things like robotics, in you know final mile technology, using Internet of Things to, you know, stand what's going on in the warehouse. So, JD was was is the first company in the world to develop a 5G powered warehouse in Beijing. Now, truth is, is that if you understand this huge facility, let's say you use something, 25 football fields, it's massive. And there's, for example, less than 10 people on the entire premise that are controlling, you know, robots, automation. And if something goes wrong, it's literally a few press of buttons and, you know, it stops. And the simple truth is by doing these things, they are able to deliver packages in six hours in 12 hours, and, and it's not necessarily just in cities. you know we, now we're also entering the, the intercity through partnerships with airlines and uh, companies that do freight via air freight, because moving product there is seen as a vital part of the e-commerce process, and not like the stepchild of e-commerce, like it's in the West with these small companies? let's let's take a simple simple story. So So now network has done something that I do not know of anywhere in the world. So they offer their infrastructure to these smaller players. So if you're a business such as SF Express and all the other smaller logistics partners, you know they are able to, to tap into this ginormous logistics business. Through technology and also resources. So, um, if you think about it in the West, you know, because we've had these ginormous uh, businesses called FedEx, UPS, DHL, and others, to a very large degree, the industry in the commerce sector has to play by their rules, i.e., what is the package size that is the quickest to do, da, da 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 da. But in China, these companies, because of the fact that these Large mega companies such as Alibaba and JD have invested into warehousing, and you know, there's no need for the investment in 3 pl logistics or you know, investment into, for example, things such as sortation technology. Why? Because they have it, and you know, the, the most important part of the transaction, that final part of the process, you know, the final mile is given to a third party. Can you imagine any business not called? Alibaba being that open to smaller players, you know, Amazon doesn't allow that. You know, they make it very clear. You you wear an Amazon shirt, but you're not allowed to mention that you work for a small company. Whereas in China, because Alibaba has invested a lot of these small businesses, you know, they say to them, guys, we move the packages between the large cities and between our warehouses. But that final mile, you know, just because of scale, we'd like you to handle it. For me, that is truly remarkable because if you think about in today's customer-obsessed society where we live, you know, this is this, that's a lot of trust being placed into these smaller players. But through the use of Internet of Things and technology, you can measure the delivering performance of these small companies. And these small companies can raise hundreds of millions of RMB and dollars and they can make money, and 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 the thing is, is that because there's no FedEx or UPS, there's fairly little overalling, overarching, you know, control of one player because of the fact that the Chinese e-commerce is so large. JD and Alibaba have invested in in commerce, but Fundador has to use these smaller players because they don't have a logistics business. It's just mm-hmm. they don't have it. Mm-hmm. So if you if you imagine an event like 11.11, for argument's sake, you have billions, I think it was, I I think it's 3 billion packages last year on one day. Can you imagine how many items is in 3 billion items? I I, I struggle with that size and that just the amount of hands and robots and (laughs) sortation facilities needed to move that from one facility to houses all over the show. You mention
0: the mutual respect. The mutual respect that the Chinese give up and down what we would consider to be a hierarchical ladder yep. of yep. employment where yep. one is better than another based on the job that you have. And yep. I think you rightly pointed out that we maybe don't see our delivery drivers who service us in the West on the same level as those, as you said, like might be the CEO of some company or a white collar executive somewhere. Talk to me about what you've seen, what you've experienced. Why is it so mutually respected no matter what job
1: you have between Chinese citizens? The fact of the matter is, is that every person that has a job in China is given respect. Whether you you are a street cleaner in Beijing, a delivery driver for Erlama, Tanao Network, JD Logistics, SF Express, because in most cases, I'd say in most cases, these are individuals from lower tier cities that are poor, that are in need of Helping their families by sending money back to their families in very poor and rural towns. But these people, if you think about 2020, these UPS delivery guys with their brown suits, these Sanao network guys with the, like, it's a light blue and green color and JD logistics with their red. These are the people that have kept these economies and businesses going because without them, there's no e-commerce. There's no transactions. I know that Richard Liu always does at least one day a year where he actually gets on a on a delivery vehicle, not a car. Let me be clear. And he actually delivers goods to the consumers. He, and he never tells the consumers who he is because he wants to understand how his business is being perceived by the public. Jack Ma also did this. And... I always am flabbergasted when you see adverts that, you know, Jack Ma competes against a logistics guy that works for it's in our network. And, you know, Jack makes no 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 bones about the fact that he got outworked by this person because this guy just this is what he does, this is what his day-to-day job is. Because I think also, as I mentioned earlier, from a from a from a scale point of view, imagine imagine how many parcels somebody that delivers it on our network or JD Logistics does a day. I worked it out personally, and, and this is back of the cigarette box or napkin or whatever you want to call it. But I worked at that on average, these people deliver between 150 and 250 parcels a day. Now imagine that on your body, getting off of a scooter or a tricycle, you know, going to a door, knocking on a door, clicking a door, that's hard work, but the fact that there's this mutual respect between the Chinese and the fact that they are also happy that the item that they bought on the internet has arrived—you know—that for me is—it's. I'm going to say it. I think it's very—it's—it's a, it's a Chinese-only thing, um, because in South Africa, you know, we've seen third-party del- delivering staff, you know, use private mock cars, and it's not the same. But I think in China, because these folks have you know scooters and clothing on that makes it clear that they work for this huge platform that is delighting consumers. Suddenly, consumers are very happy to see them because they know that this specific individual has my purchase from yesterday or this morning, and I I'm going to have it. Commerce is still very personalised in China. It's it's not like in the West where it's faceless, emotionless, getting in and out. In China, there's a relationship that is born between, you know, your JD Logistics, you know, person or your Zenao Network. These people know where these places are. They know their delivery staff. And I think it's that conversation and that respect because the people understand the value that these people bring. And let's be clear, and I'll make this very clear. This is hard, hard work. And it's not work for for most of us. And the fact of the matter is, that whether you deliver hot food for Erlema, Metuan, Dingping, or goods for China, for J.D. Logistics, or our Network, people understand that you are required, because without them, you know, it would be hugely inconvenient. China is able to...
0: Just deliver incredibly fast. I'm surprised that somebody hasn't come out and just named their company Lightning Fast Logistics. In China, they would just be, you know, oh, so you're a normal delivery company in China. What do they do that we can't replicate in their ability to accomplish such lightning fast logistics, especially compared to
1: us in the West? I think the use of technology combined with humans is important. So, you know, if you go to any of these facilities, and I've gone to both our Network and JD Logistics um, in various parts of China, you know, there, there's, these these people are highly skilled and, you know, are responsible for millions of dollars on a daily basis that goes in and out the facilities. Why are they able to do it? I think it's, one, because um, it's the speed of innovation. Um, there is a constant uh, pushing up boundaries between the companies. So, JD Logistics and uh, Tanar Network, both companies know that if they do not keep up with the trends, you know, with the speed, whether that is through the use of drones, whether that is through the use of unmanned robots, whether that is through the use of something as simple as overnight air freight between two cities, the thing is, if we don't do it, then the other company's going to do it and then they're going to get an advantage. So, so that for me is important because if you look at in general, in most markets in the West, there is a definite market leader and the gap to number two in the market is in general pretty large. Whereas in China, China Logistics and J.D. Logistics, I would say it's very close to being very clear and very close together. I think the Chinese consumer demands that these things become normal. You know, if you think about it, if you order something on T Mall or JD, you know, you can have it within six hours. That that is based on a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes that is not seen by the consumer. I.e., is there stock of said item? Where is the stock? Is it close to the person? If there is not, okay, how do we get item from a close warehouse to Another one. So just off on a a tangent here, the most interesting story that I heard from a friend Mm -hmm. was during the uh, closure of Wuhan during COVID-19 early in 2020. So the friend says to me, you can imagine that when Wuhan was closed, we suddenly had a problem in the sense that how do you, what do you do? Because the needs of Wuhan and the needs of the cities around them are very different because Wuhan was in lockdown, You know, PPE goods were used and needed, uh, food was needed. It wasn't like the selection was the same as the cities around them because they were still open. So they used technology and AI and all kinds of interesting stuff to essentially move goods out of warehouse in Wuhan and Then get the goods that are needed, like within twelve hours, into that warehouse. Now, this may seem like a minor detail. However, if I go back earlier, if you have twenty-five football fields as a compound that is that houses this warehouse, I'm not talking about one or two packages here. I'm talking of tons of goods that needs to be used, and you need to be hundred percent convinced as the operator of this warehouse that this is the goods that they can, that needs to be here. And this is going to be needed. Otherwise you've just wasted millions of RMB and the consumers will not get what they need. So I think the, the Chinese that speed and also being, uh, forward thinking to understand that we will need this because these things have happened. Um, I also think back to when um, China had SARS, you know, that also these huge pandemics have essentially helped China leapfrog the world because there's no one that can help them just because of the scale of the country. But also there are, and I say this with all the amounts of respect, there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of mouths that need to be fed. And f- for food to move between a warehouse and a house, that's hard. It's not easy. So the point is is that the Chinese can do this because they have almost no influence from outside logistics companies. So JD Logistics and Alibaba's Sunow Network, they've built from the ground up. That is huge because when you build from the ground up, Todd, you essentially are able to move and build on the fly because you understand the data that you've had the thing is people don't understand these marketplaces sit on it's not even petabytes this is like this data that basically are from like the early 90s in terms of purchasing data so suddenly they understand what is needed where so when there's a demand spike like see what with, that is with covid they can use learnings from other times on similar situations to understand the demand. Now, think about this in comparison to Amazon struggles when you know, the US has hurricanes and storms, it's like day and night. These things aren't spoken about because Chinese logistics is seen as a mature market, it's boring, it's really unseen, and it's, it's not cool. So we're not gonna speak about it. What do you think we could actually
0: not just learn But do you find anything about the way that China runs its supply chain, its logistics, its warehousing, its delivery that actually could be replicated like things that you've seen and thought actually that could potentially work or are the systems. Cause like, as you mentioned with like hurricanes and, and uh, you know, whether it's just natural disasters or wildfires or what have you, it seems like the systems in the West are incredibly fragile and everything is completely thrown off filter. And you know, you have one thing happening in one place and man, the whole system just goes down. Um, You know, are there things that you see that we can actually learn, that we could actually implement to try to help make
1: our systems better, that we could learn from the Chinese? First observation is, I think we need to understand as the West that logistics is not a mature market. That for me needs to go as quick as possible. If you are listening to this and you are the manager of a supply chain business, Or a leader or an owner or interested in the sector. First thing is that you have to, when the world comes back to normality, whenever that is, you need to go to China. I'll be clear, you need to see this so that you understand this. One. Two, uh, I think what I've seen is that the Chinese leadership of both China, China Network and JD Logistics have been willing to throw out the book as seen in the West. So, you know, there's this idea that we're gonna we will copy what we see that works everywhere else, and then it'll magically work in a country such as China. They've said we will take the best-in-class learnings from other parts of the world, but we will do our own thing to solve, you know, things such as last-mile delivery, which is, for the record, still a disaster in the West. For the though, that comes with leadership that is willing to invest into logistics. It's not something where you just sign a contract with a supplier and say, you know, go away. I don't want to see you. I, I only want to speak with you when you guys don't deliver. But there's an actual investment in logistics. But also, these companies are not hesitant to work with startups that are doing interesting stuff in robotics, in AI, in data management, on all of that stuff. So, that, that's, that is, so, so, so that's point number two. Point number three is, I think what for me, what's abundantly clear is, is that anything that is humanly possible, that can be used to move an item to another place is on the table and any discussion in the Chinese logistics. It's not just it's not just humans and cars and trucks. You walk through Shanghai or Beijing or even through one of these facilities and you see people on, you know, scooters or two-wheelers where they are literally moving between places just because of the size. But they've understood that for them to create something valuable, there needs to be an understanding of where the points of failure is. So that for me is, I don't think people understand that in the West, my belief has been over the last six months that I think our logistics companies in the West in general are running between 90 and 98% of capacity and most times. So as you mentioned, so if something unique happens, suddenly the, this this throws not a spanner in the works, this throws like a whole engine, garage, car, and a truck into the mix. And suddenly people don't know what to do. So so that for me is important. But also I think, I think China's just been fortunate in the sense that they've been willing to try things. You know, we've all seen the infamous 60 minute, uh, you know, TV slot about, you know, Amazon doing the drones. But with the exception of India, they don't use drones anywhere else. Whereas in China, JD Logistics uses drones on a daily basis to get to parts of India that are mountainous, that are very difficult to get to. So I think it's, it's also understanding that these, these businesses understand that they need to be close to the consumer. Uh, and this sounds really weird, but it's not just warehouse related, but they also have collection points. They have you know, drop off and collecting points all over this, the country where if you don't like a return, you know, which is a disaster in most cases, instead of having to put in a package, you know, with like 50 million stamps and labels on it, you literally put it back in what you got it from. You put a sticker back on and it's sent back, and in a day's time, you get credit. Can you imagine that being done that efficiently anywhere else? I can't. What I also find interesting, Todd, is, is that in general you will never hear the Chinese companies, you know, throwing one another into the traffic if somebody doesn't do their job. You know, if somebody messes up, they'll say, look, we messed up, but we are working on getting this fixed. I remember the infamous Amazon debacle two years ago where essentially uh UPS didn't do their job according to Amazon. And from what I've heard from friends, it's you know, it's questionable. My point is is that the Chinese have a variety of tools that they use to make the whole ugly duckling of commerce, supply chain, and logistics a really interesting technological space where 5G, internet of things, there's a variety of things that they do. And, and I think the one thing that I also find fascinating is that they, in most cases, are working on stuff that is not in the public space that people don't have no idea what they're working on. And you will, you will just hear stories of, you know, unmanned robots walking in cities and stuff because they want to see what can we do to get Todd's package or whoever's package in their hands in the shortest amount of time. Because as we said earlier, if they don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. JD and is threatening
0: to to go IPO. Uh, uh, you know, any time now. Do you think that that's going to change the way that they you know conduct business? Is there going to be any net effect on consumers that you might think of or heard of? Will they ultimately benefit or will they lose if they go IPO?
1: Firstly, sir, so I think both of these companies are going to IPO. Anytime in the next two years, I know that's a really vague answer, but i think I think this will be controlled just because of the fact that there's this current u s china malay, so you know they might potentially uh, go the ant way and potentially just list in Hong Kong. but the point is is that i I would think that if these companies go public then i, I then I think then the world should take notice. So, uh, so now our network has, has basically made the case that they want to be able to deliver international packages to any part of the world in 72 hours. Now, that is bold claims. I think with with, with an IPO, one, the, the investors that back them will get money, but also with Alibaba being a majority shareholder in uh, it's on our network, and JD with JD Logistics, I think it will just generate more capital for them to invest. So for me, as a consumer, I'm going to put my hands together and with Glee because I think we will see faster speed. I think we will see uh, the technology being used in other markets where these companies have businesses. Just because of the fact that I think, as I said to you earlier, if you live in an in an emerging market like I do, you realize that an emerging market solution is a very unique solution. So as these Chinese companies, for example, are moving into Southeast Asia and other parts of the world, logistics, basically moving the, the purchase from a warehouse or a brand's warehouse to the consumer, I think stays pretty similar wherever we go. It's just depending on what the infrastructure is. So if I was an investor and you can, in the, on the private markets, buy yourself a little a little stock of these companies. If you can do that, because it'll be very valuable. But also I think once these companies go public, I I'm, I'm very interested to read the S1s because I think then we'll finally get an understanding of the scale of these businesses. Just for the record, both businesses doing excess of a million doll- a million packages a day. I only know of eight companies in the world that does that on a daily basis. Now, the numbers are stupendous, but the thing is, nobody's officially ever disclosed what their numbers are just because of the fact that these companies are private. So I think then the the genie's out of the bottle, so to say, in the sense that then the whole West and you know companies like FedEx, UPS, um, Aramex and these guys then essentially are then, for the first time ever able to see what goes on inside China and. Yes, the numbers are for the Chinese only market, but I think these businesses are emerging into global businesses because once you've you've satisfied 1.3 billion people in China, if you can solve that, I believe you can solve pretty much any problem anywhere else. If the future of Western
0: logistics is China, if we only need to look to China to see where we should go, if we can say cross uh you know cross the pond and you know use what they're doing and adopt what they're doing which i understand is not completely equally transferable um potentially at all but let's just assume that a lot of what's going on in, in china is where potentially we hope to go in in the u.s where is the future for china have you seen any trends, any technologies, any startups you know anything that is the rumblings of of an underground movement in and around logistics warehousing in China that you know is really really cool that's got you excited about where China's gonna even take the next leap on advancing their already senior position in the
1: world of how they run logistics warehousing and delivery um so thought I think. Number one is I think we will see more warehouses using five g technology so that the the data transference between various parts of the businesses will become quicker now that in itself is that's very scary for for Western logistics businesses because suddenly you know you're able to move anything between fifteen and twenty five percent faster than you know a warehouse that has humans you know so that that's 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 amazing secondly. I tend to believe that I think we will also see more and more increased usage of blockchain. I know that's sometimes given as like a silver bullet for all problems, but I think companies are increasingly wanting to know, and consumers also, that if I'm buying an item, I want to know that this is a legitimate item that is made by brand X, Y, Z, and I think China has done, you know work on blockchain you know alibaba has the most patents on in that space globally so i think we're going there autonomous cars i think is not a pipe dream in china so i think that is a reality and i think autonomous trucking that we are currently seeing scaling in the u.s i think i think it's already there in china i just think the people are trying to just keep it quiet just because of the fact that you know, if you if you if you travel between cities, in general case, you know the the traffic is pretty heavy. It's it's not cars only; it's cars and trucks and trucks and yeah. trucks and more trucks. So, essentially, I, I would also suspect that we will see more investment into airplanes to get more goods anywhere part of the world. But I wouldn't be surprised, uh, Todd, if these companies use some of their IPO money and invest in other logistics companies to get facilities in other parts of the world. Because the thing is, essentially you need a two-way stream of products to ensure that consumers in China get their goods, but brands also need to get to China and vice versa. I think the Chinese will continue to showcase scale unlike anything where we see. I I wouldn't be surprised that we see JD basically in the next five years cross mm-hmm. a thousand warehouses all over China. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, network increasing their uh, partner base to like 250 to 300 partners, because essentially these people want to be everywhere for brands and consumers. Talking about
0: how they are stretching beyond their borders, where I'm probably gonna be able to get something faster from AliExpress than I will from you know, my local UPS hub. What impact Is the One Belt, One Road uh, going to have on China's ability to further extend their lead in innovation and ability to uh, transform logistics and warehousing and delivery?
1: I think there's a reason why there's massive concern in the U.S. Senate on this very topic. I think it's abundantly clear that China is able to source goods from anywhere in the world. So, interesting story that I read a couple of weeks ago. Rwanda, which is in the middle of Africa, is now exporting coffee by the thousands mm-hmm. of tons to China through Alibaba's uh, EWT program. The point is is that the one belt, one road, that whole thing is essentially made pretty much anything, any country in, from the Middle East, and Europe, basically connected via rail, air, truck, whatever, to China. So I think, from a from a cross border point of view, I think you know it's it's by no accident that you know these trains moving between China and Russia. I don't think these, it's not by accident that you know the 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 trips between certain countries are, are expanding. You know, even as worldwide air air traffic is down just because of the fact of COVID nineteen, but but my point is, I think from a brand and a business point of view, I think it's it's it would be prescient for brands and brand owners and audience listeners to to think about what happens if one of these big Chinese companies come knocking and say, "Look, I want your products on my marketplace, but we have a local logistics partner that that leverages you know duty-free tax zones in countries not in China," you know. These are realities, and I think from a political point of view, it's a hot topic that is getting a lot of attention in the EU and in North America, but I think I think from a consumer point of view, it's for me, it's, it's, it's incredibly interesting because, as I mentioned, as, as somebody that is deeply invested into cross-border e-commerce, I, I think it's just we are getting to a place where you will be able to buy goods from other parts of the world, with way less uh, you know, costs, and also with, with much faster in comparison to the current situation. Because the, in the current situation, it's a, it's a huge, huge pain for the consumer with millions of forms and lots, lots of costs. You said that
0: Q4 is going to be an incredibly important uh, quarter for logistics companies. Can you tell me and explain a little
1: bit about why you think that? So if you work with investors that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on brands or you've worked with brands, then we all know that there's a very dirty secret, Todd, that nobody wants to really say out loud. And that is that the months of October, November, December is essentially the months that basically powers most commerce businesses because then people are willing to shop more because of the festive season. However, however, 2020 has thrown us, not one, not two, like a gazillion, like, curveballs. Sorry for the sports reference, my Canadian friend, but the point is I have to use the word curveball because what we've seen, what I've seen globally is that I think it's it's abundantly obvious, is that because of COVID-19, we are wanting to order more stuff online. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you're... Your local carrier is running at ninety-five to ninety-eight percent of capacity. You know, we, what happens to that forty-five percent increase? You know, there's not magically a button that can can arrive to be pressed that says, "Okay, suddenly we have way more, you know, capability." And I think if if you're a brand that has you know Chinese offerings through JD Logistics and Sunao Network, I think you can rest easy. Your con- your complaints in the face of season will be. Very little, if any, just because of the fact that these businesses can scale and get a lot of packages to consumers. That said, if you are dependent on Western logistics companies, I would say to you, one, uh, where have you been? And two, can you please make sure that you have a strategy to handle these surcharges? Because FedEx... UPS, and even the USPS are putting surcharges in. So I asked a client a couple of weeks ago, I said to him, okay, can you explain the following to me and make make it sound logical? Okay, so you have a hard cap for USPS to only send them for arguments like 6,000 packages a day. 6,001, that surcharge basically makes your entire logistics budget go away. So it's very expensive. So how do you determine which consumers get those packages in the first 6,000? That's the question that no one wants to speak to me on the record on because this is a consumer nightmare waiting to happen. So, to answer your question is, I think you four, outside of China, I think is going to be a disaster. And I, and I, I don't want to be a, the the bringer of bad news and thunder and clouds and lightning and you know more bad news because this, word, this year has been hard enough. But the point is, is that if you manage an e-commerce business in any part of the world, excluding China, you need to be aware of the fact that there is going to be consumer unhappiness in the festive season for not getting your purchase. Now, let me tell you, folks, if you've worked in consumer, con CX, customer service, customer happiness, whatever you want to call it, there is one kind of customer that you do not want. And that is an irate customer in a festive season because you are disappointing him, her, his family, his dog, and his whole neighborhood in the sense that you promised that you will get this item to him or her before a date and you failed. How dare you fail in Q4? So Todd, the reality for me is, is that I, I would implore the listeners to understand that unlike China where, you know, they have these shopping festivals, other 618 and 1111, where, you know, they have massive capacity just because of the fact of the numbers. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I have been speaking with friends in a, the supply chain and logistics space, and I can just share that a lot of them are very, very worried just because of the fact that there's a lot of demand and not a lot of supply. And, and that, unfortunately, is a reality but I also think it's an opportunity. So I think there's an opportunity for somebody with a large amount of capital. You know, if you can start something like an Amazon Flex, not called Amazon Flex, where you help the unemployed, um, you know, move packages between people, not called Uber Eats or whatever, because the problem is worldwide, we have a problem. There's not enough supply for the demand. So another random story. Um, in South Africa in March, I waited, drumroll, three weeks, let me say that again, three weeks to buy baking butter from a large chain because there was so much demand. The reason being for three weeks, because there was not enough capacity to get it to me inside this date. So the reality is, is that it's not just the US, it's not just South Africa, it's everywhere. So I think one just admires and I'm not implying that the Chinese companies don't have the moments of drama. I'm not implying that at all. I just think that from the scale and size and, and, and being nimble. Yeah. I, I'm not seeing anybody anywhere else doing anything that can negate this coming disaster. And I, to be the bearer of bad news. Henrik, thank you so much for
0: coming on the show today. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Todd. Um, And as I say, Thanks for having me again. It was an absolute, absolute pleasure.
0: Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China.